Hey there, Michelle Rado back with a bonus episode this week. My friend David O'Leary joined Betsy Armstrong and me. He's a passionate advocate for suicide prevention and has been active for a very long time with AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, not Federation, as I mistakenly glaze over as I introduced him to Betsy. David also happens to be on the morning team at Magic 106.7 in Boston, plus a bunch of other stuff, as I am about to say in this conversation. David O'Leary is an amazing voiceover talent radio guy and has become, I will say, a dear friend um, to me. But David, you are also on the board of the Boston chapter for the American Federation for Suicide Prevention. And you and I got to know each other a little bit, even in the context of your work there. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us, David. You heard Betsy's piece as she has read it. And so I'm happy to introduce you guys today and, and have an expert share, weigh in thoughts, um, comments about preventing suicide. Sure, and I'll say at the, at the I appreciate the, the generous and gracious introduction. Um, I don't know that I'd consider myself an expert. I'm certainly not a clinician. I'm just someone who has been involved with this amazing organization uh, for over 20 years that works to, to bring support to, to those who have been impacted by suicide and also to educate the, the community at large about suicide and about how frequently it occurs, warning signs, and what things we can all do to, to help prevent it. I think for many people, it's something that is extraordinarily difficult to talk about. Uh, and, and, and further, and I'd be interested, you know, in, in your take on this, Betsy, it's, it's not something that's on your radar until it's on your radar. Do you know what I mean? It's not something, certainly my, my cousin Paul died by suicide in 1995 never had any clue that he struggled. Um, and, and by the way, after he died, wasn't something that we spent a lot of time talking about in my big Irish Catholic family. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's an uncommon story. It's really, really tough for people to talk about suicide, even mental health in general. Yeah. And um, I think that was part of my sort of initiation as a crisis line counselor. I remember coming home after my first week and saying to my husband, oh my goodness, there are so many people out here who are calling and saying, I am so just dark inside myself. I don't know what to do. And this looks like the only way out. Mm -hmm. And as a clinician, and this was part of the piece, we're not really, you know, I noticed Svetlana was isolating. She was sleeping more. She didn't eat. That was one of her things. Um, you can go the other way, of course, right. but her grades started dropping. Her friends started going away. And so as a clinician, I saw all this and I got her into counseling and got her to a psychiatrist, but it's still the first time she made her attempt. It came out of nowhere, even for me. And then the second time during COVID, I was noticing, but the sources of support weren't available then, you know, it was really in the beginning, nobody could quite figure out how long this would be or what, you know, so yeah, it wasn't something I think in a, 
in a family without somebody who had a degree in counseling, I don't know that a parent would put together all those symptoms and go, oh, you know, this might be suicide. They might say, oh, she's going through a phase or it's a teenager, you know, mean girls and all that stuff. But I think it's really important for parents to pay attention and to have it on their radar because especially now with COVID, it is all over the place. It just is. Challenging time. And that's, I guess, maybe one question for you, David, is you're seeing the broader view through AFSP. Uh, I mean, I think we all know it's going through the roof right now, mental health and depression. Yeah, there, there's a couple things I'd point out. There's emerging data that, that shows absolutely no increase in suicide during the pandemic yet. I say that with a couple of qualifications. The suicide data is always a look back. The CDC is always looking back. I mean, we just got 2020 data, I don't know, a few weeks ago, but it's always in the rear view mirror. There's not real time necessarily data. There's a couple of states which are tracking that, including Massachusetts. And actually in Massachusetts and a couple of other states, it has shown that the rate has actually dropped a little bit. But the trend was for last year, rates were coming down just a little bit. Having said all that, it's not necessarily all good news. Obviously, the pandemic has got people, you know, economic worries. There's there's worry about the virus. There's political unrest. There's just general unease, social disconnection as we're all sort of trapped in the in the house. And all of that could contribute to the risk of of suicide. So there's definitely an awareness of mental health. And I think calls, this isn't a factual, that calls to uh, hotlines and crisis lines are up. People are just generally more aware of it. And I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish about it, but I, I think there's an opportunity for people to have an honest conversation during this really, really challenging time about mental health. People who would no way would ever talk about anxiety or depression or anything are now willing to go, you know, geez, yeah, there's kind of low-level anxiety everywhere. Is that going on in your house, too? And, and, and I think that's a good thing to at least be able to talk about it. Yeah, and that's actually one thing that I will say to Betsy is it's so brave to have this conversation. And, it, you know, you mentioned in the piece how you are saying these words now, and I think that that's so hard to do. And I, I wonder, is there a concern in sharing about suicides especially, because I think that, you know, one thing that Betsy, you mentioned is contagion. And I think that there is sometimes concern about that. So I guess that's my other question about suicide and important to share, but what is the risk in that too? Or how is there a risk? Well, a couple of things that I, that I would say, contagion is a, is a thing. It is a, is it a, it is a real thing, especially when reports of suicide or information about suicide is presented in very sensationalistic ways. Um, very often when there's a high profile suicide, the news story leads with how the individual died, the means by which they died, unimportant, and really the least important part of the story. And so AFSP and others sort of who are in this space are really working on best reporting practices with the media and so forth to say when someone does die by suicide, and that's the correct term rather than committed, that just language is really, really important when we talk about these things. So that word committed, you commit a sin, you commit a foul, we really try not to use that word when we talk about suicide. We say someone died by suicide. Uh, we don't say it was a successful attempt or an unsuccessful attempt. It's nothing successful about somebody dying 
by suicide. So language like that is very, very important. And when um, you're talking to teenagers or really anybody, especially someone who may be struggling, it's important to include information about resources and support that are available to them. So when a person who may be at risk hears about someone who died by suicide and may sort of identify with that person, it's important to provide them with resources and support for them to get help um, when, you, when you talk about it. Research has shown you're not going to convince someone or give them the idea to take their life by asking them directly about suicide. Or, and I loved hearing you say this, Betsy. When you're concerned about someone, you say, listen, I'm worried about you. You're not yourself. You're not sleeping or you're sleeping too much or you're not eating. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking of suicide? And you, and you use that word and you give them an opportunity to, to, to tell you how they're feeling or what's going on. You don't have to solve their problems. You just have to listen. Um, but you're not going to give anybody the idea to take their life if they're already struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before this, I was thinking about that conversation. And even for people, you know, so many of us say to somebody, hey, how you doing today? You know, and I'm from the Midwest and I'm Midwestern nice. So of course I always say fine, even if I'm dying inside. (laughs) Um, But I think that's got to change. When we ask people, how are you? We need to really say, how are you? And listen and be willing to hear that they're not doing well. Even, you know, it doesn't even have to go to the, are you thinking about suicide question? It can just be, are you struggling? Like I'm struggling right now. We are all struggling right now. <laughs> especially now. And, and especially yes. now, it's a question that's fraught with, well, I don't know, how am I? I don't, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about getting sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much on everybody's plate, but, uh, but you're right. It's a real simple question to ask. And, and again, at AFSP, it's one of the things that we encourage people. It's just the lowest hanging fruit that you can reach to, to have some kind of a connection with someone that you may be concerned about. How are you? Are you okay? That's really all you mm-hmm. got to say and then be ready for the answer and just be ready to listen. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know. I'm always wondering about that listening part of it. And I'm a, I'm a big listener in a lot of ways in my life, but what does it mean to listen? I've listened to friends and people before. And, and I think that the hardest part maybe is to listen without trying to fix it either. So I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that. Bingo. I mean, that would be my, uh, it's one of the things in the training that AFSB offers is that we, that we say, you're really just there to listen, let them get it off their chest. You're not there to solve their problems. You're not there to offer advice or to tell them life is worth living or pick themselves up by the bootstrap. None of that is particularly helpful uh, or necessarily applicable in, in, in this case. You're just there to let them get it off their, their chest. And if you feel that this person is really struggling and you take them to the emergency room or you call 911 or you, you take further steps as you see that they're necessary, but all you gotta do is, is listen. And sometimes the person just sharing their story and talking about it very often can give time for that struggle and that suicidal impulse to pass as it very often does. So it's a really, really important part of suicide prevention is just listening. I was just gonna say on that listening, Because as I said, my propensity is to say, fine, how are you? But I think one of the things that can help people listen more is by you, the person asking how you are, being a little more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. like being willing to say, 
gosh, I'm struggling today. How are you doing? You know, then it puts it in the context of it's not just a nicety. It's a real question that you're inviting an answer to. So I think showing a little vulnerability to someone who you're worried about is struggling um, is a way to help, you know, open the door just a little bit so that they have a way to push it a little further open and, and share what they need to share. It also lets them know that they're not alone. I mean, maybe your, your struggle isn't on a par with what they perceive their struggle, but you're not alone in this. I've got the same stuff going on in my house. Let's talk mm -hmm. about it. Exactly. To that end, Betsy, one of my questions, what was the hardest part? What, what was the bravest part of this piece for you to, to read and to say, or to write and to say, I guess? That's a really good question. <laughs> Um, I think that, well, it's interesting. The first time I wrote it, as you know, Michelle, I didn't include the fact that I had worked on a crisis line. <laughs> so it was as a mother trying to care for her daughter. And I think for me, maybe that added a little more guilt about not being able to notice it, um, you know, so that I think that was hard to even acknowledge that I'm somebody who should should be aware of this stuff. And in, in parts I was, you know, um, but but yes, um, I think that was hard. And then too, I remember really deciding when I was writing about, should I talk about my depression, my anxiety, especially the post-adoption one, because you know, women who have, um, who birth babies, postpartum depression is a big thing, but people don't really talk about it in the adoption world that you go through this huge, like, oh my God, am I going to get this child? And then you get them. And then you're like, holy shit, I have a kid. What am I going to do? I'm sorry. I just swore. You can swear. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah, I wasn't sure what, what rating life, we have. Life sometimes <laughs> evokes these powerful words and it's fine to say them. Especially yeah. when children are involved. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so yeah, there was a little bit of, I didn't want to put out there that I was in any way sorry that I had done what I've done um, as far as adoption goes, you know. So that was, that was an interesting twist when I was rewriting it with, you know, some of the suggestions editing wise. And then too, asking Svetlana if it was okay. Um, and at first she's like, no, I don't want anyone to know. But then we talked about it and in the context of this could help people, Svetlana, this could really help someone who is in your position. What if things had gone differently and I had come downstairs earlier that day and found you before you did what you did instead of her dad coming down after the fact. And so that was a rough part. Yeah. It's the vulnerability stuff for each one of us. It's like, well, I know this is important to talk about, but here's, here's the thing that was really hard. And so, I don't know, I just like to reiterate, it's hard, but it's brave. And I'm so glad you shared all this. I, I never even knew about post-adoption anxiety, but it makes total <laughs> sense. You know, I, I think that there's, we don't learn about all these things unless people talk about them. So I'm mm -hmm. interested in knowing as it 
gotten easier to, to have this conversation or have this talk as you've done it a, a, a time or two, Betsy? Um, yeah. As soon as I noticed her starting to, you know, show the signs as I listed them earlier, I was very much like, I think you're depressed. I'm going to call a, a counselor or social worker for you. And she didn't want to go, but I was like, you're going <laughs> because I see where this is going and I don't want it to get to the worst possible place. And so I think part of this is that, um, because of um, the backstory of Svetlana and a lot of the institutional places she had been, counseling for her was just another institution that might have triggered some trauma for her, um, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> but eventually we found somebody she could connect with, which is another piece of just helping people through a depression is making sure that they find the right resources, as David mentioned, you know, finding a counselor, social worker, it's a chemistry thing. It's, it's very much, if you're not comfortable with the person, you're not going to hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. If you, you say to your clinician, um, you know, this is just isn't working. Can you refer me to someone else? Which as her parent, I was happy to do <laughs> um, the first time we found somebody that wasn't right. Um, that's another really brave step. I mean, that's, Another aspect to this is finding the right person to talk to. And again, like the, the pause when you are feeling sad. I mean, I had also had that question about discovering that she had taken the pills. And I don't know, this is me maybe trying to look on the bright side of things, but you, she told you what had happened. She told your husband what had happened. So there's there is like, we're in our isolation and so many people identify with isolation, but it's sharing the isolation that even in that we can find these connections and the ways that we can pause and face the scary feelings and connect. And we're not always going to feel that same way. That's been one thing for me, I think in my own struggles with depression at times where I have just been overwhelmed with panic or sadness or despair and over time you go okay I feel like the world is about to end right now but I'm it's not always going to feel that way and just wait just pause talk to someone just talk yeah reach out say something I need help three words I need help <laughs> yeah yeah. And that's a, that's a tough one. And I think that learning to ask for help, I have to say, I, th I think I've gotten pretty good at that. One. <laughs> I, I, I'm usually not afraid to say, I need help. I need help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was an expression you used, Betty. I think it was the storm clouds of depression that came over uh, Svetlana. And I, I thought, well, that is, I mean, as somebody who has, you know, well raised my hand since we're a majority, we have a quorum of people who struggle with depression from, or live with depression from, from time to time. And just what you were saying, Michelle, is like, when it comes on, my wife can always tell, maybe you should go for a run. Maybe you should you know, take some time, get out of the hospital a little while. And yeah. it's so, um, you know, emphatic and real, the, 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 the visual of the storm clouds coming in, it's, as it's happening, it is the most overwhelming thing in the world. And then when it's over, 
at least in my case, very often, it's what was that all about? It's, it's whatever it was, it's just gone and, and evaporated. And so your point about that, the, the struggle comes on, but it frequently passes. Most often it does. Most, most times it does is a very, very important one. And when you talk about suicide prevention, that's one of the things that's important. If you can put time between a person who's suicidal, time between uh, them and the, and the means to end their life, you can really save their life. You just got to intercede and, and get some time for them to, to get uh, support and help in some way. David, I wonder if you might want to share any resources if anybody does feel like they need help or need to reach out or need to get connected somehow. What can they do? Sure. Uh, a couple of things. If, if you're worried about someone, you can just ask them. Are you okay? I mean, as we've discussed, that's one of the simplest things you can do, and it's a very, very effective thing to do. And we've, and we've talked a little bit about self-care. Self-care is looking in the mirror, and if that person that you see staring back at you in the mirror is is struggling, if, if, if you're struggling, you need to be honest with yourself and say, "This is I'm just not right. I'm not eating. I'm not enjoying the things that I used to do. I'm withdrawing from friends. I need to get care. And that's a phone call away at the helpline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. That's a 24-hour uh, suicide crisis lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. There's someone locally who will answer that call when you when you dial that number. And if you're with someone who is struggling or if you're the person who's struggling, that is a number to call. AFSP has a website. It's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP.org. We have um, chapters in all 50 states. Uh, I'm you know, here in the greater Boston area, but there is help there. There are resources there. There's also a fair amount of programming just free educational services and programs that we will make available to the, to the public um, if you're inclined to learn a little bit more about suicide and how to prevent it or supporting your local chapter, AFSP.org. You can also text 741-741, same thing, there are crisis care people on the other end of that text line who will text you right back to get you help if it's somebody that you're concerned about or to help you if you're, if you're struggling. Um, and if, if you're really worried about someone, stay with them. Call 911 if you have to. Take them to the emergency room if you have to, but stay with them and do what you can to, to get them through this period where they're, they're suicidal. As we mentioned, it very often passes. And so you being there with them literally is, is saving their life. Well, thank you. I don't know, Betsy, any other thoughts? This is, um, I'm really grateful for you guys having this conversation and, and chatting today. I'm just really grateful um, to you, Michelle, for, for letting me tell my story and Svetlana's story and to David for adding, you know, opinions and, and the resources. Because as it says in the piece, I'm no longer on the crisis line. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> um, but thankfully, there are people who are and who will answer. And so to anyone out there, you know, you're not alone. There are people who care and who help, will help you. And, um, and that's what this episode is about, right? Absolutely. You are not alone. Very, very well said. You're not alone. None of us are. And the, the, I guess the other thing I will say, Betsy, is to thank Svetlana for allowing you to share her story. That in itself was also very brave. And, you know, we're thinking of her, we're pulling for her. She is not alone. So thank her, too. I will. Thank you. Again, you can go to AFSP.org if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts. There are resources and people available to help. 
you can call 1-800-273-TALK or you can text the word TALK to 741741. Please send me any comments or questions about this conversation with David and Betsy. You can email me, michelle at michellerado.com. I hope you might share this episode to encourage those conversations to share our struggles. Maybe extend some of that vulnerability yourself that Betsy was talking about. I hope this story can help someone. And that's ultimately the goal of Daring to Tell overall, to connect us through sharing difficult experiences, difficult truths, voicing them out loud. I hope you will subscribe to get these episodes that feed to your podcast inbox every Thursday. And thank you for daring to listen.